All right, so this is the High Holiday Boot Camp. This is our third session. This is also Torah Studies. The class tonight is focused on, the class tonight is focused on the holiday of Sukkot and the idea of joy. So we have joys with us and the whole topic is really about, Simcha is really about joy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute everybody. Just have a nice, quiet background. If at any time you want to ask a question, share something, jump right in and unmute yourself. You have the power of the unmutability. So let's, uh, let's talk about the upcoming holiday. So we went through, you know, the month of Tishrei has everything in it. It's got the ups, it's got the downs, it's got the highs, it's got the lows, it's got the serious stuff, it has the joyous stuff. Whatever you want, you got it. It's an emotional roller coaster in a good way. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's a thriller, it's a, it's a comedy, it's a tragedy, not a tragedy, all good things. Here's the deal. The first half of the month is what we call days of awe. A-W-E, days of awe. So we have Rosh Hashanah. Hey Vlad, good to see you. We have Rosh Hashanah, we have Yom Kippur, and these are serious days. Now, listen, if you've hung around Chabad a little bit, you know that even the serious days need to have an infusion of joy, fine. But nonetheless, the main theme, the main energy of the days, of the high holidays, is really predominantly a days of awe. However, once we get past Yom Kippur, right, which we did, once, not that we're looking to get past it, but once we, once we do pass Yom Kippur, it's time to move on to the days of joy. And the days of joy refer to the holiday of Sukkot, which culminate and conclude with Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. So let me explain a little bit. I'm going to give you a little bit of background info. You may know this. If you do, it's always good to get a refresher. If not, this might be... Riva, what's going on? This might be something that you find interesting. The Torah tells us that the holiday of Sukkot is a seven-day holiday. And what's the main theme of the holiday? There are two major components, two major mitzvot. Number one, you build a sukkah and you eat, drink, relax, enjoy, whatever in that sukkah. What is a sukkah? A sukkah is a hut. A sukkah is a hut. It has four walls. Well, four walls, three walls, even two and a half walls would suffice if it's um, you know, engineeringly sound, if that's the right way to say it. So just make sure that it's not going to collapse. So it has some walls and a roof. The type of roof, though, is called schach. Now, schach is a great word because it, gets, it lets you clear whatever you need to clear. Michanika has one ch. Schach, you're talking about a double ch, that's already next level. So what is schach? Schach is something that grew from the ground that is no longer grown from the ground. So traditionally, many people use bamboo or pine, um, I, I spent a year in South Florida, in yeshiva there, in uh, Miami Beach. And I remember that for sukkahs, everyone there used... Um, one second. Everyone used... Um, palm. Palm branches. Uh, not palm branches. Palm, palm leaves. Right? Where are my Florida folk at? Who's... Uh, yeah... Palm fronds. All right, all my Florida folks, love it, love it. So I, I remember with the, with the palm fronds, oh my gosh, best schach ever. I mean, we're talking about 
great coverage. What do you mean bigger coverage? It's like it covers the, okay, one second. You have to have more shade than light coming in from the top. So you gotta get, you gotta get shade. You gotta have 51% shade, at least 51% shade. So the palm fronts give you a lot of coverage, shade coverage, and they're super lightweight. Am I wrong here? I'm, I'm right here, right? Super lightweight. I'm schlepping for years in Pittsburgh. Are you kidding me? I'm schlepping as a kid. Bamboo poles all the way from the, the garage to the sukkah and putting them up and making sure that, and then I get to Florida and they're like, just throw up some palm fronds and you're done. 60 seconds later, I got my sukkah built. Anyway, I, let's get back to the point. Sukkah has two, the holiday of Sukkot is a seven day holiday, biblically seven day holiday that has two major mitzvot. Build a sukkah, eat, drink, and be merry in it. In other words, like live in the sukkah for seven days and get your lulav and esrog and do the old shake. Now, the, that second mitzvah includes four kinds of plants. The lulav, which is a palm branch. There's the esrog, which is a citron. There's the hadas, which is a myrtle, leaves. And um, the arava, yeah, the arava, which is a willow. Not a weeping willow, but a, a happy willow. A willow that grow, grow, grows up, not the one that droops down. So those are the four kinds. I actually have them. Riva, can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you go and then bring me an esrog? Do you know where they are on the other no. table? No. Are there little boxes? Or ask Mendel or Nassen to, to get an esrog. I want to no. show everybody the esrog. No. It's in the box, they, the white box. They, they can um, um, give it. They can find it for me. And, and then you bring it in. No, and then, and then they give it to me. I love it. All right, let's make it happen. Thank you, Reeves. Okay, let's see if this works. I have a good feeling about it. Thank you, Reva. Okay, so I'm going to show you an esrog that I have um, in preparation for holiday. By the way, it's not too late. If you want to get your kit of the four kinds, your Lulav Esrog Hadasarava at Chabana Town, we've got some extra sets. So just call up or email or text or whatever, and we can hook you up with a kit. Um, I don't know the cost. It's not, it's not that much money but you get your mitzvahs going and it's a beautiful thing. So those are the two major mitzvot. After the holiday, oh, that's, yes, that's beautiful. Thank you, Reeves. Okay, no, no, you're gonna display it. You ready? All right, folks, here we go. Hold on, let's get in front of the camera. It's all about the, grab it. Oh, there we go. All right, the unboxing. The unboxing of the Citroen. By the way, last year, I bought an Estrick, spent a lot of money on it. I got home, there was something wrong with it. I think I got a lemon. That was a joke. That was my lemon joke, right? Lemon, all right. Now, here we go. This is, this is the citron, this is the esrog. Okay, I got a big one this year. I think it was a good year for the esrog crop. I think with, uh, with folks kind of doing less stuff around, look at this guy. Looks good. It's a big, it's a big lemon. Who saw the movie Ushbizen? You see the movie Ushbizen? I don't wanna give away the plot, but let's just say this should not go in a salad. I can't say any more than that. I cannot say anymore. I don't want to ruin the, the movie. Anyway, so this is the esrog. Then there's the lulav, the hadas, and the arava. Now on, we're going to put this away. Now on the eighth day of the holiday, it's called Shemini Atzeret. The Torah says, seven-day holiday of Sukkot, eighth day, Shemini Atzeret. Now in the diaspora, outside of Israel, you probably know that we do two-day holidays instead of one day. So... Instead of eight days, seven plus one, seven days of Sukkot plus Shemini we do seven 
plus one, plus one. So we have nine days. We have nine days for the holiday, and the last day, so we do, instead of one last day called Shemini Atzeret, we do Shemini Atzeret and an additional day that's called Simchat Torah. And that is a celebration, a day of celebration. We celebrate the Torah, we celebrate, we dance with the Torah, and it's a day of joy. It's probably, I mean, I, I, I don't know of any other day on the Jewish calendar that is as joyous. Maybe Purim is also a little bit joyous. Not a little bit. Purim is also joyous, but Purim is not a biblical holiday. The biblical holiday, Shminat Tzeret Simchat Torah, that is the most joyous is Shminat Tzeret Simchat Torah. So tonight we're going to explore what is behind the joy, what drives the joy, and really what could then drive the joy in our lives. Because, I mean, Lord knows, it's, it's hard to be in a super, like, super high state of joy nowadays. There's just a lot of stuff going on, right? There's a lot of stuff going on, um, health stuff, you know, global stuff. And, and it's hard to be in a state of joy, even though I will, I will say that, objectively speaking, we're all living you know, way better than human beings lived a few hundred years ago or even a hundred years ago. Quality of life is like way up there relative to the way things were. And yet there's what to, you know, perhaps not to be happy about. So tonight we want to get inside the energy of joy. What is, what drives simcha? What drives joy? Because we know one thing, that if we're waiting for joy to come to us from the outside, we might be waiting for that train for a while. I mean, that's a train that may never come because joy is not the product of external forces or stimuli. Joy, according to Judaism, is the product of an internal dialogue, an internal state of being. I'll say that one more time. Joy is not something that happens to us. Joy is something that we create within ourselves. And one way of thinking about this is the Hebrew word for joy is simcha. So King David writes, Ivdu as Hashem, serve God, besimcha, with joy, besimcha. If you take the letters of that word, besimcha, with joy, and you rearrange the letters, it spells the Hebrew word machshava. Machshava means thought. So the Kabbalists tell us, Judaism teaches us, that how we think will determine our joy quotient. Thinking certain ways, certain patterns of thought, decrease our joy. Certain patterns of thought increase our joy. Joy is not something that happens to us. Joy is completely the product of how we think about ourselves, our lives, and the things in our lives. To give you a very simple example, you could have somebody that objectively, you know, or from an outside vantage point, you would say this person has everything. They have money, they have fame, they have whatever they want. They're not missing anything in life. And yet, they could be miserable. And we know this, right? We know this. Many, 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 many people fit into this category, tragically, unfortunately, where you know, somebody else would say they have everything they want. And if they don't have it, they could buy it. And yet, who was it that said money doesn't, whoever said money doesn't buy happiness doesn't know where to shop? Somebody said that, right? Anyway, listen. Money can't buy happiness, but it's certainly, uh, right, it's certainly you would think would be a good start, and yet it's not always the case. And, and on, conversely, you can have people that have nothing, right? People that, don't, that objectively don't have, <laughs> don't have anything, or m at least don't have much, and yet they could be happy. Happiness is not about external stuff. 
It's about how you think. It's an internal process. So tonight we're going to try to explore what is at the core of joy and how might we, in the spirit of the holiday, because this is Moadim Lesimcha, uh, this is now the holiday of joy, how can we get to a greater state of joy? All right, I'm glad you asked. So let's begin our discussion by exploring the roots and the origin of Simcha Torah. Simcha Torah, by the way, means the joy of the Torah. It's a day of celebration and celebrating the Torah. But where does this come from? So I'm going to share my screen with you. And let's go through some texts. Oh, what happened here is... I'm not seeing my sharing menu. Okay, so hold on. Give me a moment. Let me get my... uh, my screen ready for you. Let's share this. Okay. Can you see my screen? Thumbs up if you can. Yes? Yes? Good. All right. Here we go. This is from the Code of Jewish Law, Rabbi Moser Isselis, known as the Ramah. This is what he writes on the Shulchan Aruch. I made it big so that we can all see it. Um, let's begin. Um, Donna, are you up to getting us started? Yes. Oh, yes. all right. Good. Perfect. Donna, jump in. Take it away. The final day of the festival is called Simcha Torah. And as much as we celebrate and make a festive meal to mark the completion of the Torah, it is customary that the person who merits to conclude the Torah, as well as the person who merits to read the first portion a buried sheep, donate and call upon others to make a festive meal. It is also customary in these parts to take all the Torahs out in the evening and the morning and to sing songs, each place according to its custom. Another custom is to surround the bima with the Torah scrolls from the synagogue as we do with the lulav on Sukkot. All of this is done to increase joy. Thank you. So here's what we need to know. Number one, Simcha Torah is not a biblical holiday. Shemini Atzeret is a biblical holiday. Simcha Torah, which is the celebration in the diaspora, another day, second, the ninth day, um, or in Israel, it's combined, Shemini Atzeret, Simcha Torah. This idea of Simcha Torah, this joy or dancing with the Torah, is a custom that was born of our collective Jewish experience. It's something that we came up with to celebrate with God and celebrate with the Torah. The first time this phrase, Simcha Torah, is found in Jewish literature is right here. The Ramah. 1525 through 1500s, the Ramah lived. This is the first time we can find in halachic Jewish legal literature the phrase Simcha Torah, or in the Hebrew right there, Simcha Torah. Now, it's discussed in other texts, which we'll see soon, the concept of rejoicing, but the name Simcha Torah, this is the first time we can find it. There's no, there's no other published earlier source for this phrase, Simcha Torah. So, how long were they using the name? I don't know, but the first time it was published is about uh, a little under 500 years ago. Now, let's keep on moving, because we're going to explore this historically, and then psychologically, and philosophically, and then spiritually. So, let's jump into the Chafetz Chaim, the Mishnah Brewer. Here's what it says in one of the Halakha texts, Mishnah Brewer. Regarding Simcha Torah, let's do Donna of Donna and Fred. Fame. Donna, please jump in. Text number two. It is cited. It is cited in the name of Rabbi Hai Gayon, 
We are accustomed to dancing on this day. Even the elderly participate in the festivities praising the Torah. Thus, one ought to invest energy and dance and sing to the honor of the Torah, as it is stated regarding King David, hopping and dancing before God. The Arizal is cited similarly. It has been testified about the Arizal that he said that he merited his lofty heights credit to the great joy he exhibited for the joy of a mitzvah. It is said about the great Gain of Vilna that he too would dance with all his might in front of the Torah. All right, so this is, this is in the Mishnah Brura, um, which is a collection of halachic uh, Jewish legal literature. This is about the Simchat Torah, and it quotes Rabbi Haigon, who lived in the, I think the uh, 900s or 1000s or 1100s, what is, before the 1100s, uh, about a thousand years ago. He talks about dancing on this day with the Torah, or praising the Torah. It's not called Simchat Torah. I, to I showed you before text one, the first time we find the phrase Simchat Torah. Nonetheless, this idea of rejoicing with the Torah is found in earlier sources, and the Arizal, the great Kabbalist, the Arizal is quoted here about his joy. The Vilna Gon is, is quoted here about his joy with Torah. Anyway, the bottom line is, it's a day to celebrate with Torah. Now, um, what, what we're seeing here is, wait, hold on one second. Second, one second. Um, okay. Here we go. All right, so what we're seeing here is a little bit about the, uh, the custom. Now, why, why is there so much joy suddenly the last day of Sukkot? Why is there suddenly so much joy regarding the Torah? What's, what's going on? What, what triggers that joy? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Maimonides in text number three. And Maimonides in text three is going to give us a major clue as to whence the joy, uh, uh, the, the reason for the joy. So share my screen with you one more time. And let's ask Fred. Fred, if you don't mind, please unmute and read Rambam, the common custom. You got it? No? It's not working? All right, three. Oh, there we go. All right. I had faith. I knew it was going to happen. All right, Fred, take it away. Throughout all Israel is to finish reading the Torah in one year. The cycle begins on the Shabbat after the Sukkah festival. Reading the Sidra, Bereshit. We continue reading it according to this order until the Torah is completed during the Sukkot festival. There are those who finish the Torah reading in a three-year cycle. However, this is not a widely accepted custom. All right, so what Rambam says is like this. The way the Torah is read throughout the year is you start reading the Torah, Breshit, the Shabbat after Sukkot, and you finish reading it on Sukkot. Specifically, our custom is we finish reading it on Simchat Torah morning, so, or Simchat Torah. So now you understand the joy. What's the joy? The joy is we're concluding the reading of the Torah, the public reading of the Torah. We start from the beginning, literally in the beginning, right? After the new year, um, well, after Sukkot, and we go all the way to the next Sukkot. We finish it on the last day of Sukkot, on this Shemina Tzert Simchat Torah day, and that becomes a day of celebration. So, at a very simple level, the reason why that is Simchat Torah, <coughs> excuse me, is because, is because that's the day that we finish reading the Torah. 
and we finish reading it and we begin reading it again. Now you should know, Rambam mentions the triannual cycle, or maybe there's another way to call it, but um, basically there were customs, some people read it, the Torah, divided the Torah to be finished and concluded every three years. That means you read every week a shorter amount of, of Torah, but that's certainly not the mainstream custom. And it's pretty much the, the mainstream custom in Jewish circles for thousands of years to read the Torah on an annual, to finish it, conclude it on an annual cycle, annual basis. Now, according to pretty much all of the customs in this one-year cycle, the Torah is concluded and restarted this time of year. There are some nuances in the customs. Some had a custom to finish the Torah and, and start it again on Yom Kippur to kind of show Hashem, look, we love your Torah, we're finishing it, and we're even starting it again on the fast day, so hook us up with all the blessings we need. There were some that had that custom, but the custom that stuck and is pretty much the custom that's prevalent throughout all Jewish communities today is that we start, sorry, we conclude and restart the Torah reading on the day of Simchat Torah. And that becomes the obvious reason why it's a day of celebration. Why the Simcha? Why the joy? Because that's when we finish it. And that's when we start it again. So the last Torah portion is called Vizot HaBracha. We finish reading that. And we immediately um, close that Torah. If you only have one Torah, you would scroll, roll it manually all the way back to the beginning and start again. If you have two Torahs, so you finish one, you pull out the other one, and you read again from Bereshit. You read the first, the opening tale of creation from the opening Torah portion. And so we don't conclude without starting again. We conclude and immediately we, we begin. And that is the day of Simcha Torah, the, the great day of joy, rejoicing in the Torah. The question we're going to ask, though, all of that is wonderful. It all makes sense based on our custom to finish the Torah on that day. That's why it's the day of Simcha Torah. And that's why Jews created with this custom the idea of taking out the Torahs and dancing around the bima with them. Okay. All of that is well and fine, but the core question we're going to ask is, there's already a day, a holiday, a Jewish holiday, a biblical holiday that pertains to Torah. What's the biblical holiday that's, that, that celebrates Torah? Help me out here. Unmute yourself and tell me which biblical holiday celebrates Torah. Shavuot. Shavuot. We have a holiday already. What's going on here? The holiday of Shavuot is the commemoration of the anniversary of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. That seems like a great day to celebrate the Torah, right? It seems like the perfect day. If you want to celebrate Torah, celebrate the day we got it as a gift from God. That seems like the great... We should be dancing with the Torah on Shavuot. Why do we have this dancing on Simcha Torah when we finish it? Okay, I mean, there's, there's joy in a conclusion, but it seems a little weird that the great joy in dancing is reserved for Simcha Torah and not for the day of Shavuot. Let me explain. What do we actually do on Shavuot? Well, we stay up all night studying Torah. Then we eat cheesecake and blintzes. And we read the Ten Commandments. And that's pretty much it. But we don't find the custom to dance with the Torah. We find it on Shavuot. We find it here now, coming up on Simchat Torah. The question is why? If you want to create a holiday to dance, dance then. Why now? Let me show you this question inside. Share my screen with you once again. Let's take a look at this question as articulated. Second. By the third Chabad Rebbe, known as the Tzemach Tzedek. 
All right, David Lazan, please read this one, text number five, why? Why did we rejoice in the Torah on the eighth day of Sukkot if the Torah was given on Shavuot? Wouldn't it make more sense to celebrate Simcha Torah on the day the Torah was given? All right, and, and yes, obviously, obviously, the questioner, the, the, the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, knew full well what, what happens in Simcha Torah, namely, that we conclude the reading of the Torah and start it again. But why is that the day of celebration? Why not celebrate and dance on the day the Torah was actually given? That's the question. Make sense? The que- I, I want to check in with you. Question makes sense? Yes? Okay. So here's an approach. Here's one answer. Unmute yourself if you can answer the following question. It takes a real gutsy person to unmute themselves already. All right, no. But unmute yourself and answer the question. How many sets of tablets did Moses receive from Hashem? Two sets. Two sets. Two sets. Well, there were four. Each set had two tablets, right? But that that constituted one set. Two sets. Two sets. By the way... You know what God said to Moses when Moses complained of a headache? Take these two tablets and call me in the morning. That's what God said to Moses. But I digress. That was a joke. Okay. Um, and then Moses says, I dropped them. All right, here's another two. So we, we got two sets of tablets. Okay. When did the first tablets get created? Give me a date. When did the first, tab- or, or an, when did the first tablets, when were they created? Shavuot, the day of the giving of the Torah at Sinai, God inscribed the tablets. God gave them to Moses. Moses came, came down with them down the mountain 40 days later, saw the golden calf, threw them down, and they shattered. But they were inscribed, according to tradition, on the day of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So that's Shavuot. When did the second tablets come down to the people? When did the second set of tablets, to replace the first, when did Moses bring them down and give them to the people? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. So what we have here is, essentially, a tale of two tablets. Let me explain. The first tablet symbolized purity, potential, righteousness. Everything was good. This was before the sin of the golden calf. Everything was amazing. Moses got the first tablets, God inscribed the tablets, everything was good until they weren't. And then Moses breaks those tablets, goes back up in the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, asks for forgiveness, comes back down, goes back up for another 40 days, 40 nights, gets the second set of tablets, comes back down 120 days later after originally going up the mountain the first time on Shavuot or the day after. 120 days later, Moses comes down, on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, with the second set of tablets, which, which represents the idea of, uh, of return, of, of fixing that which is broken. So what's going on? A tale of two tablets. The first tablets represent perfection. The second set of tablets represent bouncing back from adversity. Are you with me on this theme? Yes? The first tablets... Perfect. No flaws, no fights, no drama, 
Nothing's broken yet. It's that pure first love, so to speak. The second set of tablets. Things got dicey. Relationships on the, relationship on the rocks. We've come back together again. That's what the second tablets represent. Make sense? Yes? If you saw my email that I sent out about an hour and a half ago, I wrote, we're going to learn about superglue. The second tablets are the superglue. Right? The first tablets were broken. The second tablets put them together again. Right? Not the same, ta not the same tablets, but the second set is fixing that which was broken. Mending a relationship that seemed to be all but shot, all but kaput. So in the language of the, of the scholars of our uh, great Torah commentaries, the first tablets symbolize a connection that's never been challenged. The second tablets represent the coming back after experiencing distance. And that's a greater joy. The example that's given, and we're going to read it inside, is imagine the king who has an only son, the prince. And imagine, you know, so as long, the prince is living in the palace and everything's good. So the father, of course, the king loves the prince. Goes without saying. Okay. But imagine if the prince gets lost and the prince ends up wandering away from the palace for years, right? And then the prince comes back. Imagine the joy. Give you another example. You ever see these reunion, uh, you know, videos? You know, uh, um, people that reunite, maybe adoption or whatever it is, but reuniting with their parents again? And the joy, that simcha, that joy, right? So it's not... If there was never a separation, right? Of course there's joy. There's joy apparent to a child, there's joy. But when there is a separation, and then there's a reconnection, the joy is felt that much stronger. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes? So which is more joyous? The first tablets or the second tablets? Which is a more joyous experience? The first tablets, perfection, or the second tablets, which represent coming back after almost being lost? Which is, which is a happier experience? Second set of tablets. Thank you. Karen, I got the... Uh, I thought you were putting like rabbit ears behind... Whatever, but... Okay, so that's, that's the, hence the joy. Hey, Nate. Hey, bro. How's it going? Hey, buddy. What you got there? Is that a giraffe? Nice. Love that. Love that. Good. Um, so that's what the second habits represent. The joy of the rebound. Okay, let's... I'm going to share my screen once again. Let's jump into the text. Okay, let's see where we're at. Oops, wrong tool. All right, I'm going to do some reading. This is text number six. It's a little bit long, so here we go. Shavuot is the day the first tablets were given, whereas the second tablets were given on Yom Kippur. It is these second tablets that are celebrated at the end of Sukkot. The first tablets represent the status of tzaddik and perfect, perfect righteousness, while the second tablets represent the status of the Baal Teshuvah, 
the returnee, which is why they were given on Yom Kippur the Day of Forgiveness. And this is what Simchat Torah is all about. Because true joy is when one is reunited with something he was previously distant from, as illustrated by the following parable. A prince was once held captive far from his father, the king. When he was finally released and reunited with his father, that is when they experienced true happiness and rejoiced together in the most profound way. Their joy was not the same when the prince had been together with the king as usual, for constant pleasure is not pleasure. Look at that line. Constant pleasure is not pleasure. Man, that is such a powerful line. And that explains, by the way, I'm just going to pause here for a moment. That line, constant pleasure is not pleasure, explains why we can live in the greatest time of humanity with the greatest abundance and not be happy. Because the constant pleasure that we take for granted is not pleasure anymore. It's, 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 it's the norm. It's no longer what we call in Hebrew a chidush. It's no longer a novelty. It's no longer exciting. It's no longer new. It's normal. So it doesn't get the heart rate going. It doesn't get us excited. It doesn't make us happy. Why? Because of course it is. Because of course we have that. Of course we have air conditioning. <laughs> what? You know, I, of course we have a car. Of course we have a roof over our heads. Of course we have food to eat. Of course. But we're not going to have that. We take it for granted. Constant pleasure is not pleasure. So the king, as long as the king is, is, with, the, is with the prince in the palace, he loves him. But you don't have that, that simcha, that joy, that like quantum joy. However, let me reshare. Let's get back. This is the difference between the mode of the tzaddik represented by the Torah given on Shavuot and the mode of the Baal Shuba represented by the second tablets received on Yom Kippur after they had become distant from God. When the Jewish people put in that tremendous effort from the depths of their hearts to return to God on Yom Kippur, God reciprocated and they were reunited face to face. This was a cause of tremendous joy and gladness for God and for the Jewish people. All right, so let me stop sharing. Let me explain what he's saying and bring it back to our question. So very simply, I asked the question before, or we had the question before, why is Simchat Torah celebrated at the end of Sukkot? Why not on Shavuot? Why is Simchat Torah, which is our own invention, it's not a biblical holiday? I mean, Shemini it is, the eighth day is, but the idea of dancing with the Torah, that's, we came up with that. So why did we put that now, like this time of year, and not a few months ago when we got the Torah? And the answer is, because this time of year, we're celebrating coming back. And when you come back, after being lost a little bit, after being away, the joy of being there is heightened. Does that make sense? Yes? Coming back is a greater joy. That's why the great joy of Torah is experienced this time of year post Yom Kippur. Now, understand, just to be very, very clear. The holiday of Simchat Torah is not celebrated on Yom Kippur. It's celebrated almost two weeks later at the end of Sukkot. But the understanding is, look, on Yom Kippur, that's the day that we came back, reunited, second tablets. But Yom Kippur has its own theme. And then we got into Sukkot and we built a sukkah and we were shaking the plants and everything. By the end, all right, now we appendage, and that's when we, we dance with the Torah. But it's all about the energy of this time of year. Does that make sense? But to this, we're going to ask the question, something's still a little bit fishy. Still not a good answer. Still not a complete answer. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, 
what's the connection, thematic connection, between Simchat Torah, the joy that we celebrate, the ninth day in the Diaspora, eighth day in, in Israel, after Sukkot, what's the connection between that day and the holiday of Sukkot? You're telling me it's connected, or I'm telling you, that it's connected with Yom Kippur? That's two weeks ago. What's the connection with Sukkot? It's the last day of Sukkot. Or it follows the holiday of Sukkot. What's the connection with that holiday? Don't give me two weeks ago. Rebound. What's going on right now? Why is this upcoming holiday, Sukkot, a time of joy? I'm glad you asked. So for this, we need to jump into the harvest and agricultural themes. Because one thing we know about the holidays, the three major biblical holidays, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, we know about these three chagim, three holidays, that they're all connected with the various um, agricultural seasons. So let me explain. Passover is the beginning of the harvest. The beginning of the harvest is when it says the grain is beginning to grow. It's the springtime. The grain, the wheat is beginning to grow, but it's not fully, it's not fully grown yet. Seven weeks later, by the holiday of Shavuot, the grains have come up. The wheat has come up in the farms. But the fruit of the fields is not yet up. The fruits haven't yet bore all their, the trees haven't yet bore all their fruits. But come by the time of, hold on one second. Anybody been apple picking lately? Yes? When is apple picking season? Help me out here. It's, it's fall. Yeah. So the trees, right? I mean, listen, different trees, different times, but the season goes until about now. So the holiday of Sukkot is a celebration <coughs> of the produce of the trees. So again, Passover is when the fields start growing. Shavuot, that's one. Shavuot, number two, is when the grains, the wheat, has come up and you start cutting, cutting the wheat down. So you're enjoying now, ah, we can now make bread. We got wheat, flour, bread. And then by Sukkot time, all the trees have bore their fruit and you have really what to rejoice with. That's why the greatest joy of all the holidays, the Torah uses three expressions of joy with regard to Sukkot. Because of all the holidays on an agricultural level, it's the one where the most growth has happened. Passover was the potential of growth. Shavuot, you had some growth. By Sukkot, you got all the food. And, as anyone knows, right? Especially in a Jewish family, when you got the food, everyone's happy. Yeah, you go to a restaurant. Yeah, they bring out a little, a little thing. You know, you go to a restaurant, they bring out a, a little dish. It's like, what is that? It's the appetizer. You, remember restaurants when they would give you food before, without even paying? Remember that? I don't know if they do that anymore. They would put something on your table. Do they still do that? It's been a while. You know, they, you guys know what I'm talking about? They put the little uh, a bread, a salad, a this, that, the other. It's like, oh, that's great. I ate. See you later. Thank you. No, now you have to order the food. Right? So you get that little food. It's like, okay, you're a little bit happy. But you know, oh, the menu, you have a menu in front of you. Look at the menu. 30 items, 40 items, 50 items. 
with a wine and a dessert and a this, that, a sushi menu, um, a, a thing where they bring out the food with, with the fire. You know that, that thing they bring out with the fire? It's like they're cooking it in front of you. Whatever. Look, every step of the way, the joy increases. So Passover, potential joy. Shavuot, you got wheat, right? You got your Wheaties. Whatever, paraphrase. And by Sukkot, you got the full meal. That's the real Achzameach. It's only the festival of joy is Sukkot. But here's where Kabbalah comes in. Kabbalah says that just as it exists on an agricultural level, in other words, physically with the fields, so too it exists in the spiritual level. You see, there's a physical harvest and a spiritual harvest. There's physically planting and harvesting and eating, right? And then there's spiritual planting and harvesting. So what's the spiritual parallel? I gave you the physical breakdown, potential wheat, fruit. What's the spiritual? Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot, three levels. You ready? Faith, Torah, mitzvot. That's it. Faith, Torah, mitzvot. Let me break it down. On Passover, God took us out of Egypt. Ah, what do we have? We had our freedom. What did we really have? We had God, right? We hitched our, what is it? What's the language? We hitched our wagon or whatever. We hitched our ride with God. God said, come. We said, that's it. We're, we're done. We're going with you. Where? No idea. Where were we going? We had no idea. God said, come out. You'll worship me on the mountain. Which mountain? How far is the mountain? Which direction is the mountain? We had no idea. God said, I'm taking you out. And we said, that's fantastic. On Passover, we had faith. And by the way, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing to have that pure faith. You know where you see that faith? Little kid gets to a, hopefully, right? Gets to a, um, a street corner and naturally puts out their hand, right? Not like no look. You know what I'm talking about? Remember like Magic Johnson, no look passes in basketball? This is like the no look, put the hand up for the parent. That's the trust and faith that the child has for the parent. The little child who just knows that if they're in a potentially vulnerable spot, all they need to do is put out their hand and their, their loving parent is going to hold on to that nice and tight, and help them across the street. That's the faith that we had in God. We were the little kid. We were freshly born as a nation, and we were reliant completely on God. Food? Nothing. Mana from heaven. Water? Nothing. Miraculous well. Clothing? Nothing. Right? The Anane Kavu, the clouds of glory, protected us. That's it. The first dry cleaners, the cl- it says the clouds clean the clothes. How? Clouds do everything today. Right? Cloud computing, cloud printing, cloud everything. So the cloud also did the laundry then. How? One day we'll figure out also. We'll have cloud laundry. Yeah, you'll have a cloud laundry machine in your, in your house. What does that mean? One day you'll know. One day I'll know also. Anyway, back to the point. Faith. Passover was faith. We'd had, we had nothing. What do we have? We had God. And we put out our hand and we said, God, take us. Because you know where you're going. And we don't, but we trust in you. That was Passover. That's like the hope of the farmer 
The field is starting to grow. It's the growing season, right? Remember I told you Passover, it's starting to grow. It hasn't grown yet. You have no idea how it's going to turn out, but it's starting to grow. So you have faith. You pray and you have faith that it's going to work out. You're going to get food. All right, come Shavuot time, seven weeks later. You had faith and now you have a harvest, wheat. Wheat, I'm going to spare you. The, there's a various verses that speak to this. Wheat is a euphemism for Torah. Torah is called bread, wheat, etc. So on Shavuot, it's the time of the wheat harvest. It's the time that we got the Torah. And now it's more than faith. You see, we were operating by faith, but now we have an instruction manual. Now God says, all right, I'm going to let go of your hand. Here's the book. Read it and go for it. Now you know what to do. When you come to a red light, look both ways and then you can cross. God is giving us the next step of maturity with a Torah. Are you with me so far? Yes. Faith. And now we have a manual. That's a good thing. It's a step up. What's the point of the manual? To know how to live, to know what to do. And that's where the third step comes in. And that is the mitzvot. So on, on Shavuot, we got the Torah, but we didn't yet do the, we weren't yet doing the mitzvot. We just got the manual. A few months later, Comes the time of Sukkot, this time of year. We got the Torah Sivan, right? Sivan. Tammuz of El Tishrei. Beth. Tammuz of El Tishrei. Four months later. I'm just doing the math here. Four months later, we, ha we have some mitzvot under our belt. Ah, oh, thank God. That's like the fruit. The fruit, bearing fruit. So we got the Torah. We got the staple. But now we're bearing fruit because of all the good deeds that we've done over the last four months. And now it's a time that we have the full meal, all of the stuff. We had the faith, we had the wheat, and now we have the fruit. Now everything is, has blossomed. And that's why Sukkot, on a spiritual level, is a time of joy. Because it follows the cycle of our people. On Passover, Passover is the birth, the infancy of our people. Shavuot, we get the book, we get the guide. By Sukkot, we already have a lot of practice and good deeds, mitzvot, the fruit under our belt, so to speak. We have, we have a lot of that that we're carrying with us, and that's the true cause of joy. But here's the question. All of this, by the way, is explained in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. All what I'm telling you now is, is well-sourced in the books. But here's the question. How do we reconcile this arc of the year, which is really beautiful, right? Um... Growth, wheat, fruit, paralleling with faith, Torah, and mitzvot. But how does that reconcile with the fact that between Shavuot and Sukkot, there was the story of uh, the golden calf, which was a massive step down, like that derailed the whole story. You're talking about like, we're painting this romantic picture. We had faith, then we got Torah, and then we did mitzvot, and now we're celebrating that. Hello, what about the golden calf? That totally threw us off. What happened with that? So the Rebbe addresses this, and the Rebbe says something so beautiful. I'm going to share my screen with you and read this because this is really powerful. And it really has a powerful lesson for all of us in our lives, as you'll see soon. Let me make this a little bit smaller so I can scroll easier. Um, I'm skipping text that I paraphrased. Here we go. 
text 15a. And here we have the upside of sin. I didn't say that, by the way. I can't say that, but off the record, the upside of sin. When one hasn't tasted sin, the Rebbe says, we cannot be certain that his level of piety would withstand every test. Perhaps the reason he's so pious is because he's never been tested with other kinds of or with greater tests. If for some reason he was exposed to a different set of circumstances with challenges he was unaccustomed to, would he be able to withstand them? We cannot know. On the other hand, we can be certain that the Baal Teshuvah, the one who has tasted sin and nonetheless separated himself from the sin, will remain righteous because he's already been there, yet he's separated from it and overcome his evil inclination. This is the unique quality the Baal Teshuvah possesses. Let me explain. The tzaddik, you know, if you would say, who's better? Who's on a higher spiritual level? The person who's never tasted sin or the one who's dabbled in, uh, in negativity? You would say, well, the tzaddik, the perfect person. And Judaism says that's not true. Because the, bright, the righteous person, how do you know what would happen if they, when they would encounter a challenge? Maybe they would fall and never get back up. But the person who has fallen and still gotten back up, you know what that shows? That shows that inner strength. That even though they wandered into uh, the dark side or into, into places maybe that weren't so, so, uh, so amazing, they still came back. And why? Because it's in them. The righteous person who never was exposed to challenge or sin, are they doing it because it's in them or because that's all they know? You with me in the question? Let me, let me speak in, in, in English. Somebody who grew up in a very religious family. Yeah? Somebody who grew up in a Jewish religious family where they did Shabbos and kosher and tefillin and candle lighting. Everything, that was their lifestyle. And the child did it, grows up and still does it as an adult. Here's the question. Are they doing it because that's what they really believe in? Or that's their identity? Or are they doing it because that's all they know? You with me in the distinction between that? If they had grown here's the question. Had they grown up in a different family, would they have come to it on their own? It's easy to be in it when that's all you know, right? But would you be in, would you be in that place if you grew up in a completely different set of circumstances? That tzaddik is someone who never tasted sin, never had challenge, never faced the adversity or, or darkness. And therefore, although the tzaddik is perfect, we don't know what would happen if there was a different set of circumstances placed in front of them. But the Baal Teshuvah, the person who has tasted the other side and still came back, why? Why did they come back? Because this is really who they are. This is really their identity. They could have easily stayed, you know, out there, over there where they were. But they're back. Why? Because it's in them. This is, this is really their connection. This is who they are. That's why about Shuva, the returnee, stands higher than the tzaddik. It says in the Talmud, B'makom shabali tshuva omdim, the stature that the Baal Shuva 
stands, the Baal Shuvah means the one who has come back, not even the greatest tzaddik could stand in that place. It's not just because of the effort. It's because the Baal Shuvah is revealing a deeper truth about what's in, about identity. It is them. The tzaddik, we don't know if it's them or if it's what they know. There's a difference. Is it really who they are? Or is it just the only thing they've done? The only thing they know? The only lifestyle they've, they've ever tried? But somebody who went elsewhere, or who started off elsewhere, but is now in this place, plugged in, with Torah mitzvot, that's the highest level. That's what happened. That's what happened with the golden calf. We got the Torah, and we got the guidebook, right? We got the bread, we got the wheat, and then we said to God, we're going to try out the golden calf. And then we came back as a people. We said to God, you know what? We tried it. It's not the same. We want you. We, we are this connection. This is who we are. And that becomes the greatest bond. That becomes the greatest connection. And that is the source of celebration. I asked before, you know, we talk about how Shavuot is this, sorry, Sukkot is the fruit, it's the celebration of the harvest of the fruit, all the food, the full meal, everything, all the delicacies, everything's on the table, represents the mitzvot. What kind of mitzvot? Golden calf. Hello, how are we going to ignore the golden calf? That's the point. We're not ignoring the golden calf. It's exactly, precisely the golden calf. If post-golden calf, you still come back and do a mitzvah, that means it's genuine. That means it's authentic. You with me? Had you never done a golden calf, then you could say, is the fruit fruit or is it plastic fruit? Is it real or is it inauthentic? If there was never a golden calf, it would be called into question. If there was never a golden calf, if the Jews had never been tempted by any sin, you could ask the question, how do you know it's authentic? How do you know it's really them? How do you know it's the real deal? But if they can go all the way down to that pit of darkness of a golden calf, after God said, I am the only God, don't worship anything else, and we're like, you know what? Hold my beer. Let's try this out. If after that, we still said, you know what? That's not for us. God, we're back with you. That's the ultimate connection. That's the ultimate demonstration of connection, of love of God, and love of Torah, and love of mitzvot. And that, my friends, is definitely worth celebrating. And that's what Sukkot is. Sukkot is the harvest. It's when we reap. It's when, spiritually, it's when we collect. It's when we enjoy the fruit of our labors. It's when we celebrate the connection that we have. So I said before that, you know, um, Simchat Torah is connected with the second tablets that uh, replace the first tablets and there's joy in the reunion. And then I said, okay, but that's Yom Kippur. This is Simchat Torah. It's like two weeks later. What about the Sukkot connection? Now we have the Sukkot connection. I hope all that there's a lot of thre- there's a few threads here. I'm trying to tie everything up just to have so there's no unanswered questions. I'm trying to do that right now. So, but let me start again. I'll give you a quick summary and then and then close it up. So we started out by talking about joy. What's the source of the joy? And we explained. Well, Shavuot has is the first tablets. Okay, well that's you know that's a consistent joy. And that's not really pleasure if it's constant. Whereas second tablets, Yom Kippur, second tablets is after the, you know, the devastation of the first tablets breaking. You now have the second tablets, the reunion, that's the joy. But then I asked, okay, but that's Yom Kippur. 
So why not dance with the Torah and Yom Kippur? What's going on two weeks later with Simchat Torah? What's the connection between Simchat Torah and Sukkot? And then we explain, well, every holiday, including Sukkot, is related to the agricultural cycle. And that's not only a physical thing, but it's a spiritual harvest as well, agricultural cycle. So we have faith, Torah, and mitzvot. And Sukkot, not Yom Kippur, Sukkot is mitzvot. And then I asked, but what about the golden calf? To which we explained that the golden calf is what tests or proves our connection. And thus, on Sukkot, which is coming up in a few days, Sukkot begins Friday night. This Friday night, Sukkot begins. The festival of the harvest. It's not just a physical, you know, old-time Jewish farmer back in the day celebration. It's right now. What are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? It's coming up in, in two days. We should know. Right? What are we celebrating? Celebrating the joy, not only our faith in God, not only that we put out our hands and we, we trust that God is with us, not only that we have the Torah, but that we have this beautiful body of mitzvot and we're doing them. And even if we haven't been perfect, the fact that we're back means that it's really us, it means that it's in us. And that's something to rejoice. And so, as that holiday concludes, we take the Torah and we dance with it. And as the Hasidic masters would say, we don't dance with our heads. No one dances with their heads, unless you're breakdancing and spinning on your head, and then that's for a different discussion. But, because that the, uh, the Kabbalists weren't speaking about, they said that dancing happens with your feet. And the feet is the opposite, are the opposite of the head. The head is intellectual, sophisticated, sensitive. The foot will step into anything. Oh, is that glass? All right, who knows, right? Oh, is that bath really hot? Let me put my heel into it. No one, would ever, no one ever said, oh, I wonder if that's hot. Let me stick my head into it. That would be kind of crazy, right? We don't do that, but the foot goes in. And the message on Simchat Torah is, it's the type of joy that is not an intellectual joy. It's a full body joy. The joy all the way down to our heels and toes. It's a joy that takes us in totality. It's the essence of who we are. It's not just that we've studied and we know it. That's Shavuot. Shavuot is an intellectual holiday. We stay up, we stay, we stay up at night, all night studying Torah. That's the, you know, that's, that's the Shavuot, is the study holiday. Simchat Torah, we open the Torah to read it, but we close it in its cover, and we dance with the Torah closed, not open. Because it's not about the head. It's about the essence. Of course, we should study Torah. And that should lead to doing mitzvot. But this holiday celebrates the essential bond that not even a golden calf can rock. And the, and the proof is that after the golden calf, we're back. My friends, there's a lot to be happy about. There's a lot to rejoice about. In life, especially today, times of corona, pandemic. All right, I see some unhappiness here in my background, but nonetheless, I don't know if you guys can hear that. But here's the point. In life, we each have narratives. We have, we have multiple narratives. You choose your narrative. Choose which story to look at. I mean, it's the, 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 the typical adage, is the glass half empty or is it half full? You get to choose. It's your narrative. It's your life. It's your choice. This Simchat Torah, this Sukkot, this post Yom Kippur, I encourage you 
I ask of you, choose the positive narrative. Let's not focus on, let's not focus on the things that are not great. Let's focus on the blessings that we have. We should also fix the other stuff and work on the other stuff, 100%. But let's focus on the tremendous blessings we have. Um, you know, somebody once was trying to explain Einstein's theory of relativity. And he said, here's, here's what it is. Everything's relative. So if a person has only one hair on their head, right? Imagine a head, no hairs, just one hair on their head. What would you call that person? Bald. Right? They don't, even though there's one hair, bald. But if, you get, if you're at a restaurant and the waiter serves you soup and there's one hair in your soup, it's hairy soup. What kind of soup is this? There's hair in my soup. That's what we call relativity, right? That's the theory of relativity. One hair in the head is no hair. One hair in the soup is hairy soup. All right. So the question is, what are we focusing on, right? The soup. Okay, I'm going to move away from that example because it's gross, but get back, get back to, the, to the issue at hand. What are we focusing on? Are we focusing on literally, literally, the Bali Guzma, this is not an exaggeration, dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands, I'm not exaggerating, of blessings in your life right now, literally, that you're experiencing right now, or on the handful of things that could be better. That aren't 100% the way you would want it. Human beings we know, right? You have an art, you have an essay, a book that's beautifully written, but you found a typo. How could they let that book through? What were they thinking? Who's the editor? Fire them. Uh, write a letter. Listen, it is what it is. Don't let it ruin your mood. Don't let this quirk of human behavior ruin your mood. Choose your narrative. Choose your story. And choose the story of joy. Because at the end of the day, joy is not something that happens to you. Joy is a choice and a thought pattern. Besimcha machshava. Joy is what you think. So think good. And think positive, and you'll be happy. And if you're happy, then I'll be happy. So please be happy. Thank you for joining me tonight for High Holiday Bootcamp slash Torah Studies. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have a deeper insight, a deeper window into the celebration that is Simchat Torah. Nate, it's good to see you, buddy. Um, and I hope that this year we can truly have opportunities to celebrate, each one of us individually and all of us collectively with many opportunities of joy and happiness, not the superficial kind, but the real kind. Lots of blessings, continue blessings for this year, and I hope it's off to a good start. And if it is, may, may the good times keep on rolling. And if the good times are keeping on rolling, then, uh, then again, we should, we should have had. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, if you know somebody who's maybe not so happy, then be there for them. Reach out and be there for them to lift up the spirits. There's no greater mitzvah. The Talmud says, there was once a rabbi who was walking and he saw a tremendous light emanate from one or two people walking down the street. He saw this tremendous spiritual light, this aura around them. And he said, what do you guys do? I think it was two people. They said, we are um, 
Barchanim, I think. Um, how would you translate that? Um, a barchin at a wedding is um, like a comedian. A jester, a comedian, um, like somebody that makes uh, makes joy. So, the power of the power of joy, and making others happy, making others besimcha. So, that's why I try to tell my my jokes, but they usually don't work. They usually do the opposite. They usually make people sad. So I apologize. It backfires so often. But maybe uh, maybe that also made you smile a little bit. Anyway, we should have simcha. We should have joy. And thank you, thank you, thank you. That's why we come. (laughs) Come for the jokes. Come for the jokes. Stay around for a little content here and there, eked in between between the jokes. So look, we should have the true joy. I remember as a kid, I want to share with you just this quick quick memory. As a kid, um, my grandfather, may he be well and 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 strong, chazak vematz. Um, and, and I know many of you, some of you have met my grandfather who's visited, he's visited Atlanta several times, many times. Um, he was the gabai, the, you know, the, how do you translate gabai? Like the, no, no, like the guy who runs the services, not the rabbi, but the, the one who, you know, opened the ark, do this, the, the one in charge, like, whatever, the gabai. So his job was on Simchat Torah. He would hand out the flags to the kids, like a Simcha Torah flag to wave, um, like a you know, fun thing for the kids, and he would give out candy bags. So every year, the eve of Simcha Torah, or a few days before Simcha Torah, we would have, my, my grandfather would enlist our, my, our help, me, my sister, and my friends, you know, we would all gather together in his house, and he would have these little paper bags, you know, hundreds of them lined up on, on the dining room table, and we would have all this candy or whatever other treats, we put them in the bags, and that was our uh, our Simcha Torah prep to create gifts to to bring joy to children, to bring joy. And we're also kids then, but to bring joy to others. So this Simcha Torah, think about your joy, think about your blessings, think about the Torah, think about the mitzvot, think about your unshakable, unbreakable connection. No matter where you've been, you're here now, and that's a cause to celebrate. And then think about how you can bring joy to someone else. Thank you for joining me. Don't forget. We're off next week. So boot camp is officially, we did three parts on it. But Torah studies, which is our weekly Wednesday night Torah class, rolls on. But in a few weeks. So we're off next week. But I believe the week after, we're back on. Stay tuned. Check the website. Check the emails. You'll find out. Also, I sent out some emails in the last few days about some new programs, including a program with Dr. Uh, not Dr. Mr. Kenneth Feinberg, who is a D, top DC attorney and was a special master of the 9-11 payouts and other government and, and corporate payouts after disasters. He's a person that's, in, that's been entrusted with billions of dollars and allocating it um, to individuals. And the, top, the, the topic that he'll be speaking about is how do we put a price on life? Especially with Jewish, value that's, uh, Jewish values that say that every price is infinite. Well, then how do you practically you know, distribute uh, funds of, of compensation? It's, I only mention this because I've met him and I've heard him speak and we have a relation, you know, I have a relation with him, which is why he's doing this for us um, and our, for our community. He's a tremendous speaker and it's a tremendous topic. So I encourage everyone to check that out. It's going to be Thursday, November 5th. We have a two-part meditation series with, with Rabbi Dr. Label Wolf coming up in the end of October. We have a new course coming up. Anyway, stay tuned. Check the emails. If you see something, jump in on it. 
you won't you, you'll, you'll you'll love it you won't be disappointed these are amazing programs coming up so join us and let's keep the good torah study rolling all right good to see you all take care stay healthy thank you, thank you. my pleasure thank you pleasure pleasure chag sameach everyone happy holiday chag sameach be well take care everybody